All right, let's look in as we continue the series of uh, living in light of his coming, going through the book of Thessalonians. And if you would turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that's where we're going to uh, cover the first 12 verses of that today. And hopefully the series has been good for you, enjoyable, and teaching you some things. When it comes to this series, Living in the Light of His Coming, it's, it is challenging all of us to how is our life affected by the fact that we know that Jesus is coming again? Does it make any difference to us? The chapter that we're going to look at today is a chapter that really has a darkness to it, but it actually is designed, it's Paul trying to encourage and teach and strengthen uh, believers, and not only to this church in Thessalonica, but also for all Christians, even for us today. And what you're going to see is he is taking this very pastoral approach, and he calms this young church about Christ's return. You think about it, going back to that time, they didn't have 2,000 years for there to be uh, all the research available that we have. They, they don't have all the healthy debates and discussions about end times, and we, we're still doing that, like what is this and when is that? And so they didn't have any of that to help them to discern the events. So Paul, you're going to see here, gives them some guidance. And he leaves with guidance for them. He leaves some incredible things that are so important to understand what happens in the end time. If you're new to faith, or maybe just you're not a Christian, you're visiting today, you don't know some of these things, they're kind of new to you, um, they might seem a little sci-fi, a little different, a little odd, out-of-the-box kind of thing. And I remember when I first became a Christian and, and heard these things, that intrigued me so. It made me want to learn more. Um, and so hopefully that can be there for you. But more than anything, this is a passage that's going to give us some warning and then also give us some wisdom on how to live for the Lord in the time that he has given us. So let's look at verse 1. It says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as it, as it from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. What you're seeing here is Paul is actually responding to this church that, w- that had a great concern about, did we miss the rapture? As you learned about that a few weeks ago, um, the Lord is coming, and it's going to be instant. And they thought they had missed that. So that's part of the nature of their question and the emotions that we're going to talk about in a moment. But they also were concerned, does this mean that we're in the time when the, the great tribulation comes to the earth. So it, it moved them. It was very difficult to them. So Paul is going to give them some understanding about this. First of all, I want to look at two words that we just read there, that they were quickly shaken and then also disturbed. So this will give us a little idea of how when Paul answers the question, this is the position they were in. This was the emotional condition that they were feeling in regards to, did we miss the Lord's return? The, the first word is shaken. In fact, they were shaken to the core. And, you know, when you think about it, 
for this group, this early group, it wasn't that long ago that Jesus was on the earth, a miracle birth, that he did miracles throughout his earthly time. And then he died, and then another miracle, he rose from the dead. This, this was not that long ago. And one of the things Jesus said is, I'm coming again. So he's already done all these amazing things. So why wouldn't they be going, you're coming again? That's probably going to happen at any time, right? And I remember when I first became a Christian, that's the big thing that was talked about. He's coming again. We need to be ready, you know, and, and yet now we're 40 years later and he still hasn't come. So you can see this was really fresh to them. Maybe harder for us 2,000 years ago because so much time has passed. In fact, that does cause people a little bit of doubting because you said something and you still have not returned. But then, just trying to help us understand the passage, they're shaken. They figured this has already happened. And so, when you think about uh, this, this term, shaken, being quickly shaken, he says, as you'll see later in the passage, he said that he had already talked to them about all these end times, already talked to them about an Antichrist. But they somehow have already forgotten. That's part of why I can't believe you already quickly are shaken uh, as though you didn't grasp that or hold on to that. When I think of the word shaken, shaken is a response that we have to some kind of immediate tra tragic event, like, like almost like shock. And I was trying to think of maybe the more recent uh, time I have felt shaken. And, and it has really gone on in this whole, like, 2020. It wasn't 2020 such a difficult year. Not that we're out of the woods with things that are occurring that we're not used to seeing. But I, I think when I watched riots in our streets of America and, and, and all kinds of expressions that were anti-America, I'm all for protesting, all for standing up for what you believe, even if we don't agree. I love that our country allows for that. But I wasn't, you know, I was really sh shaken by... Um, how bad and how harmful we could be to others and to property. I hadn't seen that quite like that on the scale. And then being justified, like this is okay. So I, I think that is part of like being shaken. You witness something that's a, a tragic kind of thing. And so when you look at, at what they were going through, is they're seeing Many Christians dying, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. They're seeing some things that have shaken them, and that's why they're wondering, did we miss? Have we not been delivered because of what is going on? But when it comes to this word disturbed, Paul says that you're shaken and you're disturbed. That's another level. I remember when the first plane hit the Twin Towers. It was in a, in a, a hospital uh, for my father-in-law getting surgery, and I sat there with another pastor that I knew. It had just happened. We were both there, and uh, the TV's on up in the corner, and I look, and I go, look, a plane has, has hit one of the towers. And I think both of us were like, wow, this, this is bad. This is not good, and obviously it means people have died, and so there was a certain amount that we were shaken. But when that second plane went in, then we were disturbed. And I still remember going to tell my father-in-law, who wasn't still uh, going through the surgery, I went to tell him because then there was another plane that hit the Pentagon. And then all of a sudden, what looked, you know, was an accident or a problem, now had some kind of deeper, evil, planned out um, motive behind it. And that was disturbing. He uses this word disturbing 
for them because he, he said, did a spirit, is a spirit causing this in you? The spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of evil. He said, or was it a message? Was it false teachers who are telling you that you already missed it so they can create fear in you so they can have gain by what they teach? So think about this. What would that emotion be if you've heard that the Lord is coming, it's instant, it's an amazing event, and somehow you're still here. You know, sometimes I do this with the, the office staff. I'll, I'll come out of my office and nobody's at their desk, and I'll just go, rapture, rapture. And then you'll, you'll, you'll see, no, I'm here, and I'm trying to think, is that a good thing or, or not? Is it a good thing that we're both here or not? You know? so, but just think about that emotion. So I'm just trying to get, help us to understand what Paul is addressing in these young Christians, and because what he's going to solve it with, what he's going to help, is something that's really important for you and I. As here, 2,000 years later, when do these events happen? What has to happen on the earth? So he, he's very comforting, but yet very thorough. I want to say a few things about the persecution, too. In that first century, it was really bad. And the first kind of level or experience of persecution, if you named the name of Christ, was internal. It was your family. You know, Jesus, by the Jews, they, they just said he's worthy of death. And so if you're a, a Jew, which all early Christians, all those churches were just really Jewish populations. And so if they said, I want to be a follower of Christ, that might mean that your parents moved you out of the house. And that could mean your job was gone. Read the book of Acts, you'll see that early church. They, it was devastating to, to people. So you had the internal, but then you had the external. It'd be real easy for us to, in this, that maybe we can't imagine this, but the government, the government was persecuting them. If you name the name of Christ, you, you could be incarcerated. Um, they also could actually bring you to the point of death. And some of that just meant, I have my faith in Jesus Christ. There was tremendous insecurity in the government of those times, the Caesars, Nero. They wanted your worship. They wanted your allegiance. They were God in their minds, and you needed to give that to them. So when people said they wouldn't, and remember, Jesus said, pay taxes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but never give your heart. Your allegiance cannot go to those. So many of them ended up in prison or on this path to death because they would not give their allegiance. So they saw, and they saw Christians burning at the stake. They saw Christians in coliseums with lions and other animals for entertainment. That's what their experience was. So we've got to remember that. So they saw all this fear. And so they're thinking, wow, are we left behind? So Paul comes in with a calming message and giving them information and giving them hope so they could process the coming of the Lord and make sure they have things in order. So I do want to say this to you, though, when I get into the passage, and I'm going to start shooting a lot of information at you. I'm not going to give you a lot of detail. The passage doesn't give you a lot of detail. So we're trying to stay within that. So I hope it don't disappoint, but I'm hoping that it also motivates you, especially if you're a new Christian, motivates you to go and start doing the research. No different than I did at age 16. I just said, I got to eat this up. How do, how do I get more information? So I encourage you to do that. So there's some huge things that Paul wants to know to help them that they have not been left behind. Two things that must happen before the great tribulation, before this time of judgment. First, is the apostasy comes first. 
in verse 4, it says, Let no one, no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now, there's some debate on what the apostasy is. And most scholars look at this as meaning there is a falling away. In other words, those who have had faith have left the faith. And it's not just a decline in attendance at a church, but it's a decline on who attending is a true Christian or not. And so that's the main and pretty traditional that before all these events happen, you're going to see a mass exodus of, of, of disbelief towards the Christian faith. So you're going to see that. So that's one thing he, he wants us to put. Now, we're already seeing that. I don't know if you're aware of that. But decline, especially in America, it, it, it's, it's been rising that there's just people and young people that just don't want to do the or archaic type of religious practices of their parents. There's so much secularism that has come. Jesus says in Matthew 24, he said, and then many will fall away. You'll see if you, with different translations, it's used as a rebellion. The word is rebellion there, which means a betrayal. It's like you named the name of Christ or you were doing Christian things. You called yourself a Christian, but all of a sudden maybe something got hard or the secularism was easier to deal with and you just abandoned. So that's, that's all a part of what's going on. And you see this more and more. In fact, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was just someone going through the highlights of, of humanity. Not a Christian, kind of a psychologist. And he's just going through, and he's just explaining all the differences of man. He said, you know, there was a time when religion was needed. You know, they, they looked at, say there's a God in the sky that's going to hold you accountable. That's needed for now to just keep people under control. Now, I don't think any of us realize Though you can, you know, even through movies you can be educated. Our world was a lot more violent. You know, you go back more than a thousand years, it, it was pretty violent. And so, so they looked at religion to try to calm and try to um, scare people in doing right. And so and then they go from there and just say, so religion served its purpose for now, but we don't need it now. We have education, you know, we, we have ways of, of including everyone. And so you just see it's almost like, Eh, these are no, no good anymore. We're totally secular. So you, you, you see in our generation today a, a falling away. So that's there. A secondary meaning of the word apostasy means departure, actually. So some, though it's a little more newer of a view, some are saying until the apostasy comes, in other words, the departure comes. Some think that's referring to the rapture. So debated, like I said, not, not real popular, but is getting discussed more and more. The second thing he says that needs to happen for the Great Tribulation is the man of lawlessness is revealed. Let me, let's go ahead and look there. It says, and, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So now we're going to talk about the Antichrist. So what does he tell? Not a lot of details, but there's a couple things that, are, that we're guided with here. That this man is finally revealed. Now this particular man, there's always been a lot of evil leaders, but this particular man in God's history of humanity, the man of lawlessness, is going to be known 
He's going to emerge. In other words, already on the earth of whenever this time would be. In fact, some people have pointed this out, which is interesting. As we learn that nobody knows the day or the hour that the Lord will come. So guess who doesn't know the day or the hour? Satan. And so Satan has always prepared evil leaders because he likes evil, first of all. And I think that's why when an evil leader comes and he oppresses and he does what he does, if we even look at Hitler and he's gonna, he has a global plan and he's just going to march through all these countries and put his evil to work, you know, many said he must be the Antichrist. And I think we've all pointed at different people that we say that person must be the Antichrist. But here, he's going to be finally known. Satan has been planning, and Satan has always been preparing through every generation for this. So he's going to have power. He's going to be having both political and religious power. He is opposing and exalts himself, as the verse says, above every so-called God and object of worship. So it would sound like he would be the king of secularism. He would not be religion, religious at all. However, if you notice the language, no other worship can exist. No other God can exist, but he wants everyone to worship him. That's a religious nature. And I don't know, I'm going to say this probably more than once here, but just so we know that worship word, there's, there's a lot of elements when we say we worship someone, but one of those strong elements is allegiance, that you pay allegiance. And I'm, when I say one of these other things later, you'll, you'll see how that is helpful to know. He's, uh, he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He demands worship. He's named in other places as the Antichrist, the foolish and worthless shepherd, the beast, the ruler, the prince. And each generation, like I said, tries to identify him, but he is going to be known in the tribulation period, revealed. He will emerge. So what will he do? I'm going to read through several things quickly for this. There's a lot of information. He's going to negotiate a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And through his strength, he is going to bring to the most contentious area in our world, the Middle East, he is going to bring what looks like peace. But in three and a half years, he's going to violate his own treaty. This is said a long time ago in the book of Daniel. It says, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. And that, by the way, that one week is interpreted in a seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and, an, and a wing of abominations will come one who will make de makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. He's also going to be a very charismatic political leader who will defeat three kings out of ten. So there will be a confederation. The world will organize itself into ten, ten of these federations. Three he is going to defeat, causing the other seven to come along and join in world rule. So that's said in many different passages. So you know, I can't go into all that today for the shortness of time. But I think what it helps us is, as we watch evil that's always, on, on the, you know, always working, that we see these things forming. So this can all be a part of when, what we look like. And you're hearing, by the way, globally, 
That's the big thing, isn't it? Everything needs to be global. You don't take the borders down and every one of us somehow bring the world together. So it's, it's not far-fetched. You know? So this is all being predicted. He will oppose God, demand to be worshipped for 42 months, which is a three-and-a-half-year period. He is going to blaspheme God. And then he's going to... Uh, Actually, there's going to be the abomination of desolation. And this is where he will go to the temple. And in that temple, this will be a rebuilt temple. He will claim to be God. The Jews right now, that is controlled by the Muslims. The Jews want that to be able to rebuild the temple. So these are all things we can watch. Where is that? And, and uh, you know, who's controlling that? Those are all things that help us to see where things are. Now, he is joined by another, the false prophet a religious leader. He will also have those that refuse to worship him, and again, in allegiance, he will shame them, he will, and he will distance them, and if they don't give allegiance, he will kill them. And then he also will control commerce where no one can buy or sell without the mark of the beast on their right hand or forehead. You know, that number, 666. And again, as a teenager in the middle 70s who loved sci-fi. I was just so into this trying to figure out. But I also had this theory. I thought, this just can't be true that this would happen. You know, people, when they start seeing 666 somewhere, you know, or anything that's required on your right hand or your forehead, as soon as that all starts happening, everybody's going, I'm not doing it because now I see who you really are. That's what I was thinking then. But right now, I don't know that that would be the case. First of all, there's a lot of ignorance. People just don't even know this is in the Bible. So there's a lot more ignorance. And there can be and will be uh, deception that's added. But can the world be run by some kind of leader? So Revelation 13 says this, And he causes all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given the mark. This is... We're used to this language because of all the vaccines, the mandate. There will be a mandate that you have to receive this mark. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And remember, this is written 2,000 years ago and has been considered throughout all the different generations. It's been mocked. It's been distorted, um, but it's, it's there. But I think, again, I couldn't thought in the 70s, how would you have a cashless society? How would there be a way with commerce to be able for the whole world to interact in some kind of uniform way? You know, how, how is, that's just impossible. But that's before the Internet. You know, we didn't know what the Internet was. And so, so it's interesting to see technology and how it is joining. And all, even, you know, recently, removing the gold standard, you know, doing away with cash. There's some major changes that are coming that are all going in a direction of globalization, okay? So, man, it's just seeming like prophecy is being fulfilled right before our eyes. He will gather the nations together and to fight against Israel at the place called Armageddon. This is, an, a major, this is a major battle, and, and he is going to be, uh, as, as the scripture says, even demonic influences are going to be guiding the leaders of the world to go against 
Christ. So again, I'm going through this quickly, but you could read that in Revelation chapter 16. But what happens is that he is overthrown. The Antichrist does have a defeat, and he's defeated when Christ comes back. And an interesting thing um, is that Christ, when you read that passage, Christ himself, in fact, uh, let's look at verse 10, then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end the appearance of his coming. Uh, it's like you don't see him die, you see him go right to the lake of fire. So I know there's so much to study. I'm really going through all this quickly with you. Um, there's so much to learn about these different things. I can't do it in a 35-minute time frame on a Sunday morning. But why would Paul tell us this? Not, again, no detail. He's just, why is he bringing up this man of lawlessness for us to understand and where he fits in the time frame? I think that one reason is this. We can process the evil that's going on in our world, and we can know this, that evil will always want to grow, and evil will always want to infect. And it's like this. He created Adam and Eve told them what they were to do, told them what they were not to do. The idea is that we would continue to live and enjoy the earth and enjoy God and worship God. But we know when sin entered the picture. So how in the world, you know, what is the end of sin? Sin is going to grow in such a way, and especially when the church is removed. We'll talk about it in a moment. When you see all that influence removed, evil is going to increase and intensify. And so, it's important for us in this day and age to know that no matter how big evil is, there still is a plan to deal with that. In fact, that's the comfort, that if God is going to defeat the most concentrated form of evil that ever existed, then we should take comfort that he can take care of the evil that we deal with in our everyday life. In fact, Jesus said this in John 16, he said, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Those first century Christians hearing that, they did have a lot of persecution. This had to mean so much to them. But that's something there for us as well. No matter how bad it looks, you know, it, he's in control. Now I want to go back to verse 5 and talk about the restrainer. And he says there in verse 5, do you, do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? You know what restrains him, the Antichrist, now, what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So, Paul, again, starting by saying, remember, I taught you all these things. So let's review, in a sense. There's restraining that's going on. The reason that you haven't missed this, haven't missed the return of the Lord, is because the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, is being restrained. In fact, a lot of judgment is being restrained. And first, what's restraining it? Because he uses, if you notice, what, and then he uses who. So the, the word what there would refer to an organization of the church. He's saying this, that the church's presence in the world right now is restraining evil to some degree. 
We know evil still can do its thing. We know it's still alive. But there is a restraint that is because the church is here, because of the teachings, because of the morality, because of the law-abiding people who have learned this is the right thing to do. So that's what's restraining it now. In fact, that church, weaknesses, whatever, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against that. So though the church has been silenced, it's been persecuted, it's scattered, it's still here for the mission of giving the gospel. And in a sense, is protected to be here and to do for a time period what God wants it to do. So the second, though, area where it says that's what, the who is referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, we know the Holy Spirit is with the church. We aren't the church without the Holy Spirit. But in a sense, an overarching work of the Holy Spirit also is a part. It's like a reversal of Pentecost. And so all that's been restraining evil from being able to do what it's wanting to do, because it really wants to do a lot more, that's being restrained. And so we know this does not mean that the Holy Spirit will not exist on the earth anymore. That, that's impossible because he is, he is omnipresent. And we know also that when all this happens, God is going to send 144,000 witnesses, and they're going to preach the gospel, and people are going to be saved. So we know the work of the Holy Spirit will continue in that respect. The idea here is something's restraining evil, and it's going to be taken away. I don't know about you, but when you, you start just thinking about that for a moment, um, that's hard to process because we see so much evil here already. But take all that away. How far will people go in the pursuit of evil? How bad will it get? Part of my struggle, and forgive me young people here, but you know there's a certain amount, our country hasn't been perfect, but there's a certain amount of things that go into of making up how we do law, how, we, how you're protected, your rights, and all this stuff. Just think if all that goes away, and that because you've been accused, you have no trial, you're thrown. You know, we as Americans don't understand that that goes on in other countries. You don't have a, a process to find out. So just think, remember his name, the nickname here, lawlessness. And what he's going to force to do his plan is complete government control. You follow, you give allegiance, or you're out of the picture. So we might say, oh, that will never happen. It's already happened. We've seen many leaders who have done that. So why will it be hard for people to turn? So you might think this, like, okay, the rapture happens. So when the rapture happens, all these people disappear. I'll just believe then, okay? So why will that make it hard? Let's look at verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So the first reason it'll get hard to just believe if all these events happen, I'll just believe then, is that the Antichrist will be quite impressive. And I don't mean just impressive. There will be a power and a spirit and the wonders that he will do that people, you know, just think about it. If I trust Jesus, I'm going to jail or I'm going to die. But if I follow him, who is quite impressive, 
and I can spare my life. That make sense? So that's the first thing to consider, that you have his power and influence working against you. The second is, what I've kind of said already, is the persecution. How that will come if you don't worship the Antichrist. And you, it's easy for us to, to think, no, that, that won't be. That's impossible that a government somehow would oppress people or kill people. But I want to name some countries for you. Myanmar, North Korea, Afghanistan, China, Libya, Pakistan, Yemen, Iran, India, and then Nigeria, just removed from the top religious freedom violators list and led the world with, ready, 3,530 martyrs just this year. Christians have been put to death. Not just Christians, even Muslims and so forth. Anyone that would have faith against a government could find themselves dead or, or, or locked up, incarcerated, oppressed. So to look at this and saying this is coming in a global way and dismiss it, then we're not paying attention to what's going on around. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. The rebellion of a heart that says, we're not going to listen to God for God to shape how we rule and reign. We're going to do it for our purposes and our goal. We need to wake up to that, because that's just reality. So, it will be hard to, to trust Christ because of the Antichrist and his deception, hard because of the persecution, but then there's a third reason. And this is in verse 11. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, some of you have seen the Left Behind series and what happens in there, you know, the rapture happens and then, you know, even a husband wife, one goes, the other doesn't. And in there, you see people who have known Christ and, I'm mean, sorry, know about Christ, have been in church or around it, um, make decisions for Christ. And that's a hugely debated uh, issue for, for Christians that, no, if, you are not, if you've heard and you haven't received Christ, you're not going to do that afterwards. So debate or whatever, but this is a pretty strong verse that, that's basically now God entering into the picture with a judgment. So you got the, the Antichrist deception, you got persecution, but now you have actually God who has sent a delusion as a part of a judgment that you have rejected, you knowingly have rejected. And so you would be left behind. Pretty tough stuff. There also will be plenty of people who will have never heard the gospel. And that's why when you keep reading, you will see that God sends witnesses to them, empowers them, and people will be saved. The tribulation is hard, but people will choose Christ over allegiance to this Antichrist. So I want to close with these thoughts, summarizing and challenges. How do I live in light of his coming? And his coming involves these future events. First of all, I want to speak to believers. And believers, <clears throat> first, be prepared for his coming. We, we, we believe the Bible. We believe what God has said. We don't always understand everything. But one of the worst things for us as believers, even with the promise of heaven, 
is to be unprepared, to be living in this time where you're not, your life has not adjusted to what the plans of God is and why we're still here. So the first thing is to be prepared. Being prepared means getting right with God. If your life as a follower of Christ, you're not following, you're entangled with the pleasures of this world or too much comfort. You just aren't busy. You aren't dedicated. You aren't saying, Christ, use me in some way. Then that's what this should all motivate us to do. This is the time where we're salt and light. This is the time where we're to be a presence of hope, a presence of God's love and grace for many who will perish. That's what we're here for. And so do that. The other side for Christians is to be comforted. And, that, and I know because a lot of difficult stuff here. But know that God hasn't lost control. So it's, I, I say that because I'm around Christians a lot. And Christians get full of anxiety and full of worry. So there is a part where in us, because we see the full picture of God, that we know that he is in control. And ultimately, evil will lose. That's why even we're not to be retaliating if evil is done to us. Because we know that person who has done evil to us needs the Lord. And needs a response from us that Jesus did. And that's what he wants us to do. That's how we're followers. Another, another area I want to talk about is if you're here and you, are a, you would consider yourself a Christian. And maybe it's been in your mind and heart. But you're not there. For me, the message to tell you what, what we learn from here is don't wait. And I will say this. No matter what my words have been, no matter what information that I have given to you today, I know that the Holy Spirit works in the heart. I have seen people move, follow on messages that I wasn't even preaching about, that God was speaking to them. And I know every time that the word is preached and the gospel is given, which I'll give in a moment, I know that God is nudging hearts. And so I would say to you, if that's you today, don't wait. End the pursuit of life having meaning because of what you make it mean. Look at what God says it means because he's your maker and he has a plan for you and he loves you. And one thing he does not want you to do is to perish. And so make that decision for God. Maybe you say this, well, I'm not ready for faith, but maybe these things have intrigued me. So can I encourage you, go study. And just don't go study everything that is anti-Bible to get truth. Study the Bible. Study things that help you have insight so that if you reject Christianity, reject the plan of God, you've done it because you have looked deeply and considered deeply. So let me encourage you in that respect. But also let me say this to all of us. Know this, that judgment is coming. Whether you're religious or not, nobody really likes evil, do we? And so, we have, in fact, many people say, when is this all going to end? 
Is this just going to be the history? You know, again, I'm a sci-fi fan. You know, what we need to do is leave Earth because it's going to be gone in 12 years. Let's leave Earth and we'll start a new planet and, you know, or start on a new planet. And, and with all our technology, we can kind of have another utopia. I guarantee you what's going to go up in the spaceship is evil. It's just going to keep following. So whether I like it or not, whether I, whether I want to see judgment come on evil, I'm not God. And God has said to us, and that's the whole plan of why he's laid all this out for us, is to say he has a time that he says enough is enough. And he's righteous and good. And by the way, that's what you do too. Even if you're patient with someone, eventually you say, enough is enough. And I got to tell you the truth or this has to stop, right? So why would we say God can't do that? In fact, we need him to do that. We don't want evil to continue. So that's something to consider. What is the gospel briefly saying this to you? That God is perfect. God is righteous. God is true. Now, we, know we don't live in a perfect world, so it's hard for us to imagine that that can exist. But that's who God says that he is. Perfectly true. In fact, we actually need him to be that way. We don't need God to move this way for some people and move that way for others. We need a true source. And that's who God is. You and I, made in his image, but we sin. We've taken the great privilege of making choices and have made them for ourselves. And that's what we learn in Adam and Eve. They were told all that they could have and one thing they could not have. And they said, we're wiser than God. And so even though he said, don't do that, we're going to do that. And we could all say, because I've always thought, you know, Adam, I want to go in heaven. I want to find Adam. And I want to say, hey, Adam, it's okay. I know you bled for the whole human race, you know, <laughs> but it's okay, you know. But honestly... That story there is for us to all look at ourselves as Adam because every day we do the same thing. We know what's right and we do wrong anyways. We are sinners by nature. So with that difference of God being righteous and us not being righteous, there's a great conflict. And because he's true, he will judge. He will judge. So we, in a sense, then are condemned because we're not to his standard. But what he did looking at us is that he loved us. And he said, my answer for mankind, I won't make mankind do anything, but what I will offer to mankind is a way for them to be free, to be forgiven. And then he took the sacrifice. He didn't say, hey, humans that do right, I'll let you into heaven. He didn't do that. He said, no, I'm going to provide a way that they can exist for eternity in a righteous place, I'm going to send my son, and the penalty of, my, of their sin is going to be on my son. You accept Christ as your Savior and believe. He's a, given you a gift of eternal life that you didn't earn. It's only by his grace. Amen? Isn't it good that it's that way? Because I would blow it. So that's what he's done, and that's what's offered to everyone here Today, And I think that's tremendous good news. And it's not hard in this respect. He says, if you'll humble your hearts. He said this, if you would believe, accept, trust. That takes the humbling of your heart. And receive what he has done for you. And trust 
his son, he said that you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Could you bow your heads with me and 